The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We got a couple of great relievers and an old friend of the program. It's Raleigh Fingers, the Hall of Famer, Liam Hendricks, and Ron Washington of the Atlanta Braves. But when you think about Raleigh's career, it really is second to none when you think everything that he did as a three-time World Series champion, American League MVP, American League Cy Young Award winner, a World Series MVP, a seven-time All-Star, four-time Rolaids Relief Man of the Year, three times led the bigs and saves. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, he's in the A's Hall of Fame, and he's in the Brewers Hall of Fame. That's how good Raleigh's fingers is, and it's always an honor to have him on the program. Raleigh, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Oh, we were just talking about uh, the greatness of your career, and you know, the the way bullpens are being used today, I think you got to like watching it because the bullpens, I mean, you look especially for the Rays, that's their biggest strength. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt, any bullpen in these uh, in the World Series is going to be uh, is going to be good. I mean, nowadays, it's, it's certainly changed since uh, since I was playing. I mean, we went into the 72 World Series with eight, eight pitchers and, and you just don't do that anymore. You can't. And uh, the bullpen has gotten so specialized, and uh, to get as far as uh, these two ball clubs have gotten, uh, they've got to be good. So uh, I think going into the bullpen nowadays is probably a great idea. Well, I got to tell you, your good friend Ray Fossey was just on with us, and he's told the story. I think it was against the Dodgers where you guys only used five pitchers in the series, five or six. Yeah, five pitchers. Uh, we used Catfish, Ken Holtzman, uh, Vita Blue, uh, John Odom, and myself. We were the only guys who got any innings in, in uh, all five games. And what was really crazy is in in '72 we didn't we we went with eight and we didn't have Daryl Knowles. Daryl Knowles got hurt and didn't pitch in any of the games. And then in '73 Daryl pitched in all seven. And then in '74 he didn't pitch in any. <laughs> it was kind of crazy how that worked out. Well, I got to tell you, we've really analyzed your career because, you know, during COVID-19 and we weren't playing baseball games, we went back to 72, 73, 74, and we were airing games here on A's cast. And I tried to educate our younger listeners about the difference between you and all these other great closers. If you look at the amount of times you took the ball, if you look at your innings, none of these modern-day closers even sniff you when it comes to innings pitch. Just talk about how you were a guy that could come in. You could go three or four innings. Well, you know, I, I was a starter back in, uh, when I first came up to the big league. That's how you got there. So I was – you know, I had pitched, uh, I don't know, four or five complete games, uh, you know, and then uh, when I got uh, tired of getting knocked out in the second and third inning, Dick Williams decided to throw me in the bullpen because I pitched two or three good innings and then, uh, you know, I'd be shot. But uh, he threw me in the bullpen and uh, we were playing a game against the Yankees and uh, uh, we ran out of pitchers and I was the only guy left. And I came in and pitched two innings and got a save 
And then uh, he brought me back the next day. I pitched two innings. I got another save. And he called me in his office and said, from now on, I'm going to go to you. You're going to be my closer from the sixth inning on. And I said, great. Uh, I wasn't going to the minor leagues. <laughs> so uh, I found a home down in the bullpen. And, I mean, he would bring me in in the, in the uh, sixth inning, fifth in, or the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, any time in there. And it was always with guys on base. Not like it is today where you – when you come out of the bullpen, you you come out and there's nobody on. I mean, all of us guys back then, Sparky Lyle and uh, Goose Gossage, Quisenberry, Ken Picaldi, all of us guys, we were coming into ball games with, with, with runners on base and having to pitch two, two and two-thirds, three innings all the time. That's the way it was done. Uh, but nowadays it's it's a little bit different. But I didn't uh, – I didn't mind going three, four innings. I I loved. I pitched 130, 135, maybe 140 innings at a season, and uh, I liked that because I I could stay sharp. I don't know if I could just go out and go one inning and then wait three days and go out and pitch one inning. Uh, I I wasn't sharp. I, if if I got on the mound more, I was sharper with my control. I was I'd be able to hit more spots. I wouldn't walk guys, and that's one thing managers don't like uh, from their from their closers. These guys coming in will start walking guys, and I think it's uh, I think it's kind of tougher on these guys now because there's so many guys down in the bullpen. And I don't think they get enough innings to stay sharp. Yeah, you love to throw, and then I think about in the off season. Wasn't the big thing for you is you you'd, you'd swim a lot of laps. Oh yeah, that's how I got uh, ready for spring training. Is uh, right around the middle of January, I jump in the pool and I start swimming. Best exercise in the world for a pitcher is swimming. Strengthens your legs, your arms, your shoulders. Uh, you don't want to be pumping weights. You pump weights, what you do is you tighten your muscles up, and then when you start throwing a baseball, you extend those muscles, and bang, that's when things start to pop. So you want to strengthen your, your shoulders, uh, your legs kicking, uh, especially your shoulders. Uh, strengthen those shoulders just like a uh, almost like throwing a baseball when you swim and you do a freestyle swim. That's all I did was swim freestyle. You know, Liam Hendricks in 2020, I mean, he did his best Raleigh Fingers impersonation as he could as he would take the ball, <laughs> in the game, he'd take it in the ninth, and he would say to Bob Melvin, I can throw every single game if you need be. He's going to be up for a reliever of the year. What what would you see in Liam this season? Excellent control, uh, power pitcher, Strikeout pitcher, uh, didn't walk a lot of guys, got ahead of hitters. Uh, I mean, he was he was dominant. If it wasn't for him, uh, the uh, I don't think the Oakland A's would have would have even gotten close to the playoffs. Uh, he uh, he did just about everything down there. Uh, and there's another guy down there, Dick Dick. Uh, what's his name? Jake Dick. Think. Yes, him. Uh, he had a phenomenal year down there, and I know he. I think he did some setup for uh, for Lyman, and so uh, I mean he had an unbelievable year. You know, I think he only gave up one run in 21 games. I mean that's a nice setup guy. <laughs> I think I think he would probably be a great closer on another ball club if, if he has. But uh, both of those guys, I think those guys made made that uh, that bullpen that they had. And they had a great bullpen down there. They had four or five guys with ERAs under two. I mean, you know, that's unheard of. And uh, I think the uh, A's had probably the best bullpen in baseball. You know, a lot of our fans are like, God, three straight years, didn't go as far as, you know, wanted the ball club to go in the postseason. But I think you and your guys' group understand this. From Kansas City to Oakland, 
you guys had to learn how to win in the postseason. It wasn't like you just originally got there and won the World Series. Talk about how it takes it takes some time for you to, how to learn in the postseason. I mean, how to win in the postseason. Uh, well, yeah, well, we got beat in 70. Uh, you know, we finally got to the – we had all our guys on the Oakland A's. We all came up through the minor leagues together. We all played together. That's the way it was back then. We all hit the big leagues about the same time. We had that nucleus of about eight, nine, ten guys. And we learned how to play together. And uh, when you do that, uh, you learn how to win. And, yeah, we got beat. We had a great team in 71. We won, like, 102 ball games or something. And we got into the playoffs. And it's a, it was our first trip in there. And I think we were a little bit nervous. Um, we won our division by, I think, 10 or 12 games. I mean, we killed everybody. And uh, the starting pitchers, the last two times they started, we only let them go out, like, five innings. Catfish pitched five innings. Bita pitched five innings. Then we take them out of the game. And I think I think we should have just kept those guys in the rotation, let them pitch as much as far as they could you know, to get ready for the playoffs. So we learned something there. And um, you have to learn how to win. Uh, and you, you learn how to win by losing and, uh, if, and making mistakes. And uh, 71, we made, we made some mistakes. Uh, 72, we got into the playoffs. We ended up beating Detroit. And uh, I think the hardest part of – uh, postseason is the is the playoffs getting to the World Series. You, can, you play 162 games now. You got to play five more to hope to get in the World Series, and uh, you have to win three of those. So it was it was it's more nerve wracking, I think, in that five game playoff to get to the World Series back then. The World Series was a, that was a cakewalk for for us. I mean, we, and once you get to the World Series, it seems like the pressure's off of you. Well, I got to tell you, you know, Ray told us about when he first showed up to Oakland that Dick Green said, oh, yeah, we're going to win the World Series. We're going to win the division. We're going to win the World Series. Just talk about that great confidence that you guys had with that group. Oh, golly. Well, it's like I said, we, uh, you know, we had the, basically the same guys. Uh, you know, we had Dick Green and Campanaris and Bando and Rudy and Jackson and uh, Gene Tennis. Uh, we had pitching staff, Catfish, Ken Holtzman. Uh, John Odom, myself, uh, uh, and we just fight a blue. I mean, those guys, we had that nucleus, and we played together for, for three or four years, and we were great. I mean, I wish we could have kept that team together. Uh, and Charlie Finley could have, and he just didn't want to. He didn't want to spend the money. I mean, that was the saddest day in baseball for me was at the end of the 1976 season when we all knew we were going other places. Charlie Finley didn't want to sign us. He was selling off players. And uh, I think if he could have kept that team together, we could have won another two or three more world championships. I mean, we were that good. We learned how to play with each other. We didn't make any mental mistakes on the field. Physical mistakes, yeah, you can deal with. You're going to be out. Guys are going to make errors. But, I mean, we always threw to the right bag. We always hit the cutoff man. We'd back up bases. Uh, we knew what bases to throw to. We knew what the guys knew what the score was, not to let to get that that beat off that hitter deal on second base and always hit that cutoff man. I mean, we did nothing wrong out there. And uh, having Dick Williams for three years the in, in 71, 72, and 73, yeah, he uh, kind of he knew how to run pitching staffs. And that's the one thing a manager has to do uh, better than anybody else is run a pitching staff. If you know how to run your pitching staff, if you know what guys to bring in to face what hitters, Man, that's a plus. And Dick knew that. He knew how to run a pitching staff. And that's one reason why we won. 
And then later on, you go to San Diego and then on to Milwaukee, where you'd have one of the great seasons of all time, where you're the Cy Young Award winner, you were the MVP. What was that time of your career like when you were playing for the Brew Crew? Oh, golly. Yeah. Well, I was in San Diego for like four years. And uh, it was like, uh, that was like being in jail for four years. I mean, I, I, I pitched my butt off down there for four years. And I, I mean, I don't know how many saves I had in four years. I think I had over 100. And we never got out of third place. And, uh, you know, we, we had some halfway decent players. Ozzie Smith we had and Dave Winfield, Hall of Famers. But uh, the starting staff was never really that good. And a lot of the other position players we had troubles with. But when I went to Milwaukee, I just looked at that lineup in 1981. And I just said to myself, man, uh, I'm glad I don't have to face these guys. I mean, there were no holes in that lineup. We had such an offensive ball club with Molitor and you got Robin Young, Cecil Cooper, Ben Ogilvy, Gorman Thomas, Ted Simmons. I mean, there's three Hall of Famers right in that group right there, and they could mash. And uh, and we had a halfway decent pitching staff too. But uh, the offense we had, I mean, I I could almost, you could almost afford to make a mistake because you knew if you did, these guys are going to score runs for you. And uh, and we could do a whole lot of that. And that's one reason why we won real big in uh, in '81. You know, I tell you, we, we've gone through your numbers and we've been singing your praises. I, I, I don't think anyone's had a career like yours, and I don't know if we'll ever see another career like yours because the body of work, all of the winning, all of the innings pitched, uh, relievers just don't get that kind of opportunity. So we always love picking your brain, talking pitching. You're one of the greatest of all time, and, and we uh, truly appreciate your time. You be well, be safe, and enjoy the rest of the World Series. All right, I certainly will. Thanks a lot for giving me a ring. Well, from one terrific reliever to another, Liam Hendricks has blossomed with the Oakland Athletics, and we can truly say friend of the program because no one who wears an A's uniform has been on A's cast live more than Liam Hendricks. Here is the all-star. Here is the top reliever in Major League Baseball. And here he is, Liam Hendricks, the big winner, and congratulations, obviously, what a season it was for you, and to close out with that kind of award, pretty cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. I mean, see, uh, I came close last year, and that was one of the things that my wife and I had sat down there. I was like, look, we got to make sure that we improve on last year. There's a chance to do something pretty special, and uh, I was just happy to be given the opportunity. You know, you knew, because we talked, you know, before the whole restart, that in a 60-game schedule, that you were going to play a really big part. What was that like, that mind frame going in where, you knew in 60 games, I'm going to get into a lot of games? Yeah, I mean, it was – it plays into my mindset. I just want to play. Like, I want to pitch. I want to come to – I want to be in every game. I want to do as much as I can. So, they kind of play it up to that point of view. But, um, yeah, it was definitely – it was definitely different with the 60 games and then not that many days off. So, all of a sudden, you're not sure how you're going to be used because – do you want to use a guy three days in a row? Do you want to use a guy three days in a row and then have to not be able to use him for two after that? It's just, I mean, the hat's off to the management and staff and doing from whatever they did. And it's just, it's impressive to the fact that we were able to do what we did this 60 games. You know, we, we, we've talked about this before, but it is truly amazing. Your story about how you're DFA, you go back down and you kind of just say, I'm going to do it my way. And not only do you come back, you come back huge. You start a wild card game. Next, you know, you're an all-star. Now you're on, as we joke, you're on the front of the media guide. 
and now you're the American League reliever of the year. Just talk about your journey. What a wild ride it's been. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long and winding path, to say the least. Um, obviously, it's uh, every there's there's two ways of looking at it. With a step back, like what I did when I got DFA'd, you can look at it and be like, "Well, man, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Everybody hates me. I don't know how I can get past this." Or you look at it and be like, "Okay, let me go back into myself and get back to where I need to be. Where get back to where I should be, and let's prove to everybody what what I'm all about." And that's what uh, I was able to accomplish the last couple of years, but. Obviously, this is uh, it's still a it's still a novel that's being written. Um, we're still working as hard as we can to try and improve this career and that I've got, and uh, and then do right by Australian baseball. You know, and you think about the mentality of what it is to close out games. Where do you think you got that mentality? Because let's face it, you had the mentality of a starter, not a reliever. When did that when did that script flip for you? Uh, I mean, the script flipped me. I mean, in 2015 was the first time I really pitched with any sort of emotion, any sort of kind of anger or kind of uh, any sort of aggression with it that way. But I mean, obviously, 2019 was a special year for me where I was able to pitch with it a little bit more. 2018, even in AAA, like I started getting a little bit more emotional on the mound, which I'd always tempered a little bit because sometimes I'd get ahead of myself. I'd get too amped up and, and not be able to control the ball. But once I kind of fully opened up and I think 2018 was the first time I really let it fly. And I mean, as you can see by a lot of the games I finished, I tend to scream a little bit afterwards or scream in big parts of it. And it's just uh, part and parts of the way I did. But I think the game's getting more emotional. The game's getting less stoic and people are able to show their true colors a little bit more, which plays right into my, uh, my wheelhouse. Yeah. We really didn't know that notice that much uh, emotion, you know, with no fans in the stands and the crowd, mic picking up everything people were saying, we really didn't notice you at all. Yeah, I mean, you can barely make anything out. I mean, just uh, hey, it's a good thing you didn't need that bleeping button at all or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, though? I mean, I think it's great. I think it's great that you guys are now just, you know, go out and do it the way that makes you you, right? I mean, so many times, as you said, you're worried about what everybody thought. Now it's like guys are able to be themselves, and you play better when you feel better. Yeah, I mean, you hit a big home run, you get a big strikeout, you make a good defensive play. There's emotions that go into that. You can't just be like, okay, yeah, like I knew that was going to happen. I expected that. No, you go and show what you what got you to that point. Like there's certain plays that you make a diving play in the outfield. You're going to be excited. Get up, pump your fist, and scream a little bit. You make a big strikeout. Do what you need to do to kind of let everybody know that that's what, you, that's what you're doing. If you hit a big home run, sit there and stare at it for a little bit. Throw your bat up. Throw your bat. No matter what you do. I mean, we're getting to the day and age where there's – that's not disrespectful to players anymore, but it's just as long as everybody's on that same path where you don't, you can backflip whatever you want, but don't get mad at me if I start to scream at you when I strike you out. It's just, it's, it goes back and forth, but we're getting to that day and age now. It's, it's let the kids play. Let the kids play. Let, let's show some emotion. Let everybody out there know that we're not just going through the motions out there. We're actually got some pride. We've got some passion for this game, and that's what we're trying to prove. You know, when you, you, you think about your postseason and you threw so many pitches and you took the ball whenever Bob Melvin uh, needed you, how are you feeling right now? Well, the two weeks after the, the season finishes are always the worst. That's when everything hurts the most. That's when everything tightens back up. That's when everything kind of goes through it. Um, I'm going to start throwing here shortly to get back into it just so I don't have too long off before it gets back in, gets back going. But, yeah, these are usually the days where the hamstrings start tightening up. You're just sitting on the couch and all of a sudden everything just starts hurting. Um, so it's good. It, this, this is the fun time where I just sit on the couch, I'm reading a book and then all of a sudden I've got zinging pains throughout my entire body. So that's fun. That's what you want. 
<laughs> so when will you start throwing again? Uh, probably in the next couple of days. Um, start light, just 60 feet, 90 feet, and then uh, reach it back. And then probably usually start throwing uh, bullpens like the first week of December or so. That way I can get out there. And then, and then I have a full month of bullpens. And I get a couple of live BPs in before I head off to spring training in early February, whenever, well, whenever that's going to start. You know, it's always so interesting. Spring training used to be about people just trying to get in shape. I mean, you guys come in ready to go. And I mean, that's a real big difference of what baseball used to be to, to where it is now. I mean, you start talking about you're throwing bullpens well over a month before you even show up to Mesa. Yeah, my, for me, it's um, I prefer to get ready early and then be able to kind of work out my like timeline to get ready for the season. But I don't want to ever be like okay, two two outings away from the season starting and me not quite feeling right. Like I want to go into the season feeling 100% no matter what. And that for me just means I'm going to be hopefully by game four of spring training, four or five, I am locked in, ready to go. And then I can taper it off and kind of manage my workload to make sure I'm ready for opening day. Have you been watching the World Series? Of course. I uh, I texted Blake last night after he gave a little scream on the mound and said, finally, you're showing it. It's great. <laughs> yeah, he looked dynamite last night. Uh, he was nails last night. I mean, so the last two nights I texted him and then I texted Brett Phillips, who I, I know from a Christian group. And I mean, it's, it's it's always fun when you see guys, especially that you've played with or you didn't know on a personal level that are doing some special things. So I'm just I'm excited to watch the series, obviously get a little day off tonight so I don't have to watch anything tonight so I can actually go to bed before midnight because I'm on the East Coast. So that's going to be good. I need some sleep. I'm getting exhausted. Oh, I, I you know, I, we, we don't even think about that because for us, it's like, well, it's a four-hour game. I God, if you're on the East Coast, yeah, that's late. Yeah, it's been getting late. And then by the time I – because I refuse to shower before the game just because I know that – like so I shower after the game before I get into bed. And by the time I do that, it's one o'clock as I'm getting into bed and my wife's pissed. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, these, I mean, I, I understand the style of play. Can, can we get to a point where you can tell your teammates, hey, guys, can we speed this up a little bit? I mean, we don't need to be playing four hour games. Let's be honest. Well, that's the thing. When you're on the mound, you don't realize how much time you're taking. Like there was a couple games this year where I was taking my uh, taking a long time in between pitches. I get home that night, and my wife's like, what What was going on? Like, why were you taking so long between pitches? You know, I didn't think it was that bad. I watched the game like, oh, crap, I was taking 30 seconds in between a pitch. And obviously, that's the reason I didn't feel great, because when I'm rolling, I get the ball, I get back on the mound, I go again. I get, it's just rapid fire. But when it's um, – yeah, when you, uh, when you take your time, you, you start thinking too much. And anytime anybody thinks too much, it's never a good thing. You know what? I, 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 you hit the nail on the head because because we've been trying to say, well, is it the rule changes? I'm like, no, it's not going to be the rule changes. It's the players need to speed up, and that speaks to it. If you're like a guy that that's up at the plate and you feel comfortable by stepping out and adjusting your batting gloves, and you feel comfortable taking, the, I mean, that's that. Unfortunately, guys are not worried about the time of the game, and wouldn't you say that's the reason why the game is longer? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that. I mean, and you also look at the differences in postseason baseball to regular season baseball. The postseason, the ad, the commercial breaks are all timed about a minute and a half longer. So, like, when I'm running into a game during the regular season, I've got two minutes and five seconds to be ready. Now it's up to three, three and a half minutes because of the commercial breaks. So if I'm going through my normal pre-inning routine, like the first game against the White Sox, I got done with a minute and a half left. Because I'm like, okay, like I need to go through it, go through it. And then all of a sudden I'm done. And 
He goes like, yeah, we have to make, we have to wait a minute and a half. I'm like, what do you, what? Like, why <laughs> we, why would we start changing everything right now? Like, let's good, let, let just change everything, just everything. Like, and that's just what it is. But the thing is, is when uh, everybody's riding on a singular pitch or singular at bat or anything like that, there's a lot more that goes into it, and everybody makes sure there's no, there's no pitches off. You want to make sure that you're prepared to know what's going on at all, all, all times, and sometimes it just takes a little bit longer. You know, you're a, you're a great guy to ask this. You know, uh, a lot of people will be like, oh, look at the Rays. They bring in their best reliever in the fifth inning or the sixth inning. But the problem with that as a reliever is you're not getting certain numbers that are going to help you when you go to like free agencies like yourself or arbitration. So what is that like as a reliever, that mentality going, yeah, I know you're bringing me here in the fifth, but how am I going to monetize that? Yeah, for free agency, I don't think it matters as much because teams see the value of what you're able to do in any certain situation. I think that kind of being a little bit more malleable is good. Uh, through arbitration, though, it definitely adjusts the scope because they're counting stats. So it's all the leverage index definitely helps. But the biggest thing that pays in arbitration for a reliever, especially, is saves and holds. And then it goes to strikeouts and innings and stuff like that. But the leverage index is up there, but it's definitely not as inclusive. If you're, if you're the best guy in the bullpen or you're their kind of closer guy, you want to be closing games because that's going to be the accounting stats. It's going to get you a little bit more money throughout. But in saying that, the postseason doesn't matter. The postseason, like, stats don't matter in the postseason. They don't go towards arbitration. They can play in for free agency, but purely based on the fact of depending on how teams value it. But, yeah, for postseason, like, I don't care what inning you throw me in. I don't care if I start the game. As long as we win the game, I couldn't care less what you do with me. When you look back, what was that White Sox series like for you? Um, it was frustrating and exhilarating and redemptive all at the same time. Obviously, the first game was exhausting. I wasn't – I went through the same thing my first, first game of the season where I was kind of putting too much pressure on myself, making sure that I was doing everything the right way, which just isn't the way I play. The next outing, I went out there. I was like, look, my stuff's good enough. I can get by these guys. Let's just do what I do. And then after that, I was all right. But, the um, yeah, the White Sox series was tiring. Obviously, 12 o'clock games is never fun. The Oakland, uh, the Oakland Sun was out for those three games, so it was hot as anything. The mound gets extremely hard after nine innings of baseball, so there's a lot that goes into it. But obviously, the biggest thing for us was the fact that we won the series, and that you'll go through everything to win that series. Yeah, you guys were just you're you're like the old school Chicago Cubs. You were playing day games every day. Yeah, I mean, we had what on our schedule before we got the um, kind of uh, middle middle season All Star break. We had 31 day games throughout the course of the season. We had more than half the day games for even the 60 game season. So we were prepared for the day games, but it's just it's day games are never fun. I don't like day games. I have to wake up too early. I'm the, like I drink enough coffee to to kill a horse, but like I just don't wake waking me up that early is not good. No, it was uh, it wasn't easy, and, and, and I, I think about how much your wife plays into your game and how the way that the two of you go through it. And I like it. Sometimes she's like, suck it up, buttercup, go out and get some outs. You know, talk yeah. about the role your, your wife plays in your game. Uh, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today without her. Uh, she is one of those forces of nature that is able to whip you down to shreds when you need it and then lift you up and be the wind beneath your wings when you need it as well. So as she's yelling at our cats in the background, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she also told me to uh, to, 
to give a shout out to the Sweet Life group. They were the ones with the shakers out in center field, yelling and screaming that you could have probably heard on the uh, the uh, game when, when we're playing the White Sox. Uh, they were out there cheering their damnedest on, and uh, the hats off to all the wives are out there. But yeah, she's definitely the. I definitely wouldn't be where I am today without her. Without her reinforcement of when I'm struggling or when I'm doing well, keeping me back down to earth and not being such an egotistical prick, to put it lightly. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> hey, what do you think it is like for the Rays where they were in their bubble in San Diego and then they got to move their bubble to Arlington and now there's fans. There's like, you know, because you guys didn't play in front of fans to where the Dodgers, they've been in our, they've been in Arlington for weeks. Same hotel, same clubhouse. What do you think that transition has been like for the Rays? Um, for me personally, it will be a little bit more normal just because you're used to being three days here, five days there, whatever it is, a month in the same place. It's got to be weird at some point. I mean, yes, you're getting the brand new stadiums, home clubhouse for the Dodgers. You're getting put up in a nice hotel where you don't have to worry about changing and doing all that. But in the same sense, it's, it's almost normal. Like I'd prefer to be in the one like with the AL this year, where you're going back and forth at all times, because it just makes it a little bit more continuous from the from the regular season it makes it a little bit more real but um the biggest thing that's going to be different for the Rays is they didn't get a chance to play in this stadium before the game started the Dodgers played there throughout the course of the regular season and and um so the uh, I think that's just going to be the biggest difference is going into a brand new stadium the fans are going to have a little bit of a thing but the same sense is you're going to use that as an exhilaration and and kind of use that kind of emotional a little bit if you can control your emotions that's when you're going to uh do well. Actually, one of my friends is actually, I grew up playing with him. He was actually at game four the other night, and he said it was absolutely amazing. Really? Yeah, he had an absolute blast. He was up in the left field bleachers. His name's Jason Fish, but up in the left field bleachers, um, looking over it, I text him, and then um, he was actually there when they announced the reliever of the year thing and then put TJ McFarlane's face on it. So that was fun. <laughs> so, Just yeah, part for the course, right? I mean, I've already got people calling me TJ now down here in Florida. So, I mean, you got to keep it lighthearted for sure. It got, was... it, got, it got remedied after that. Don't worry. They figured it out and they fixed it. But <laughs> That's crazy. How is Florida doing? Uh, well, it's about 95 and raining right now. So, it's about normal. Wow. Because you guys aren't really on you're, – you're not on lockdown the way we are. No, no. Everything's relatively open, but in saying that, a lot of the businesses still have uh, mandated mask policies when you go to like a Publix or a grocery store and things like that. There's still all those things in there. So we have been trying to stay at home as much as we can just because of everything that goes on. Like I don't want to start getting kind of just back into normal life when things aren't supposed to be normal yet. We're supposed to be still focusing on making sure that everyone around us remains safe. The good thing is we're in a gated community where everything's pretty locked, especially our street. Our street has been a very locked down street. Like our neighbors uh, were from Denver and they've been doing it the entire time, wearing masks and everything like that. So it's just, it makes it a little bit easier when the surrounding houses around you are taking it seriously just to get involved. So, If we have to go through something similar next season, like how many games is really the right amount? If you can't play 162, what do you think is really the right amount? Uh, I mean, if we're not going to be able to play 162, I'd go 161. Um, <laughs> obviously, I want to play a full season. I want to make I want to make sure that no matter what happens, we can play a full season. I think we've got the hindsight now of what what worked this year yeah. and what we can do next year. If you throw that in there, 
Um, I think with the the success of the kind of baseball realm, like even though there's a couple of cases that didn't lead to anything else, which meant the protocols that were in place were doing a good job. Um, I think in this day and age where players aren't taking commercial flights or doing that, I think that eased a lot of tensions. But I feel like even if it's still doing the rounds next year, we have a we have a heads up of the way we can approach it. And that may we don't have to may not have to change as long as the government ordinance government ordinance audiences uh, ordinances government ordinances. Oh, my teeth are getting in the way, but as long as they're not kind of uh, not letting us play in certain stadiums or certain cities or anything like that, I think we should be able to get 162 in no matter what. It's just about the realm of making it work. But spring training is obviously going to be one of the bigger issues because it's in Florida and Arizona, two of the biggest uh, hard hit states, and two of the states that didn't really follow the guidelines set forth by the CDC originally. So if we can get through spring training, I think we're going to be all right for a 162-game season. Well, you had a hell of a year, and you know how much we love you on this show for everything that you do on the field and everything you and your wife do off the field. As you once said, you want to make this place better before you leave it, and uh, you've definitely done that for the Oakland Athletics and our fan base. So be well, be safe. Congratulations on the award. It was well-deserved. I appreciate it, Tony. Thanks for having me, all right? All right, buddy. Take care. All right. Have a good one, man. Always great having Liam Hendricks on, a good friend of the program. It's been great to see his career blossom right here in Oakland. Talk about a guy who's an Oakland guy. We're always going to love Ron Washington. We caught up with him during the NLCS as the Braves are taking on the Dodgers. The job he's done with that infield in Atlanta, coaching third base. We know what a great coach he is. He'll always be in Oakland A. Here's Ron Washington. Wash, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing great. And I got to tell you, I remember you told us before the season how good these Atlanta Braves are going to be and how tough they are. And you are right. You got to be so proud of the way your guys have played this postseason. Um, I'm very proud of them as the whole organization is. You know, they put in the time. And when you put in the time, sometimes you, you don't really realize what the reward is going to be. And the reward is uh, we have a chance to play to go to the World Series. And I just think about how your club basically comes to win every day. I mean, they expect to win every day. And that mentality of just just getting through everybody, it doesn't matter who's in that other dugout, just the confidence. Talk about that, the confidence you guys have in that dugout and in the clubhouse. Well, the thing about it all is that we're not afraid to play baseball, which is what we playing. And we certainly – uh, feel confident enough that we can go out there and if we put our game together um, in all facets, um, we have a chance to, to play and be successful against anyone. And that's the, that's the, the difference right there. Everyone's on the same page. Um, everyone comes every day uh, to do what they can bring to the table. And in the end, we combine it all together. And when that happens, that's where you have success. How about starting three straight rookie pitchers? It hasn't happened since 2012. These young guys, so big for you. Well, you know, they, they paid their dues. Um, these young three, last three guys, young kids that we've been pitching, um, they've been sent up and down. They've been on a roller coaster. They've been trying to find out what works, what doesn't work. And they ended up finding it at the right time for us. Um, we know we can swing the bat. Our problem is trying to get our starting pitchers deep in the game so we can go to our bullpen. And these young kids have stepped up. 
and you have to give them credit because they've worked hard. They've had a lot of um, adversity that they had to go through going back and forth. But, uh, you know, the reward is right now they're getting an opportunity. And this opportunity is just not here in the uh, championship series, but this opportunity is, is their future as we move forward. Yeah, Braves starting pitchers are 3-0 and with a 1.16 ERA in seven games this postseason. And as you said, you know, you know, guys that come up and down and up and down, it can really break their spirit and break them mentally, or it can build character and make them better. Talk about how guys that they can learn from going up and down and then realize at some point, you know what, I never want to go back down, and that's not going to happen again. Well, the, the, the one thing you mentioned was character. And those, those kids you are seeing, they do have character. And the organization showed that they care about them because every time there was an opportunity, they gave it to them. Every time there was an opportunity, they gave it to them, even though they did a lot of failing. But, you know, failing is a thing that only happens if you allow it to happen. We all fail at things in life, but you'll fail only if that's what you become. And they know they had good stuff. They know they could pitch because they proved they can do that in the minor league. But then you don't get over the hump until you come up here and prove it at the major league level. And since the organization was sending them back and forth, uh, in a way they still was letting them know that we care about you because they didn't get rid of them and maybe they had an opportunity too. So they do have character. And that's what you are seeing out of those kids out there on the mound. And the thing is, it, sometimes it doesn't matter if you are successful or not successful. It's just how you fight out there how you try hard to give your team an opportunity and a chance in the ball game. And our young kids have reached that stage where they're able to give us an opportunity now when they, when they touch the mound. What is it about being able to seize the moment and not allowing the moment to be too big? You've been in the postseason so many times as a manager and the coach. What is it about a team that's not afraid of that big moment? Just trusting each other. It's not about one guy. It's about all the guys that's on the roster. Trusting each other. Be prepared to do your job when you called on. Um, we know we're going to have some studs out there that's going to do what they have to do. But uh, in the case that you're called on, be prepared. And I think Snit has done a good job of setting the tone. And he let his coaches go out there and coach. And he let his players go out there and play. And that's why I don't think the world is seeing any pressure on these young kids. They just go and play baseball. Whatever happens, happens. And one thing they, they do have, they have not, since I've been here, seen them bring one day into the next. Every day is a new start. You know, I, I think about protecting that 90 feet and not giving outs away, playing great defense. We know you're one of the greatest defensive coaches of all time. Talk about just how lockstep your defense has been so far in this postseason. Well, the guys that we have out there, they're very steady. They take pride in what they're doing. They work at it every single day. I mean, every single day of the amount of games we have to play, these guys are on the field trying to get better. And, you know, I don't know what's happened in the game, but you don't see that a whole lot anymore. But uh, these guys, um, they're young. Um, they got here early. Um, they've had a taste of it and got knocked down. And uh, we don't know what the rest of this series is going to be. But I can sit here and tell you that, each day we come out here, we're going to try to pitch as best as we can. We're going to try to play defense as best that we can. Our offense going to grind out as fast as best as they can. We get on the base pass. We're going to run them as best as we can. And we're going to pull for each other as best as we can. And for me, that's a, 
formula right there for success. So you're playing in this beautiful new ballpark there in Arlington, and obviously throughout the season, it was more of a pitcher's ballpark compared to the uh, ballpark across the street. We know they have that new turf. From an infielding standpoint, uh, how do you feel about that new turf that they have there? Well, I like it. The only thing is, is you, you just don't know if the ball going to have top spin when it come off of it or if it's going to back up. But the only thing you have to be concerned with is play, playing with the baseball when it comes off the bat and make sure you put yourself in a position to get the last hop. And we work on last hop situations every single day. So I don't think our guys, there will be any hops that they wouldn't be able to handle. And if they don't handle it, we will not make an excuse about it. We're ready to play. Man, you got some great veterans. You got some great young players. It just looks like you guys are having a blast. How much fun are you having with this group? I'm having a great time with this group because they're young, they're energetic, uh, they want it, they listen. As you mentioned earlier, again, I keep going back to that one word. They have character, and that's what's important. They're learning how to win, and they're learning how to accept winning, and they're also learning how to deal with losing. Well, let's end on this. I'm having a blast. Oh, no, it looks like everybody's having a great time. Let's end on this, and we'll knock on wood. Uh, You guys get to the World Series. Will there be a benefit that you guys have been in Arlington and that you've played at that ballpark? You now know that ballpark to where the team that probably is going to be coming your way the Rays, they haven't played in this new yard. No, I don't think it's going to be that because whomever ends up being here in the World Series, they're the best two teams in all of baseball, and I don't think they'll be concerned about any obstacles, and I don't think this ballpark going to have an advantage on anyone. It's going to play like it's play, and at this point, um, you, may have be, you may be seeing balls fly out of here. That's because the teams that are playing, they're capable of knocking the ball out of any ballpark. So Arlington is a beautiful yard, but if you've got guys that can drive the ball out the ballpark, global life will not hold them. Well, Wash, you know what you mean to the A's family. We miss you, and we're rooting for you and the Atlanta Braves to get to that World Series, and I can't tell you how much it means for you to come on this program on game day before a huge playoff game. So good luck to you guys. Be safe, and we want to be talking to you in the World Series. And thank you, guys, and I love everybody in in Oakland area there, Um, especially the A's fans, and I, I thank you guys for having me on. You're the best, Wash. Good luck tonight. Thank you. That'll do it for A's Unfiltered. We would like to thank Raleigh Fingers, the Hall of Famer, Liam Hendricks, the All-Star, and Atlanta Braves coach, Ron Washington. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.